This is the Intego Mac Podcast. The voice of Mac security. For Thursday, July 8th, 2021. This week's Intego Mac Podcast security headlines include some follow-up on Windows 11 system requirements. A crazy Wi-Fi naming scheme can break your iPhone again. Plus, Western Digital connects with customers who were victims of their recent data loss hack. Now, here are the hosts of the Intego Mac Podcast, veteran Mac journalist Kirk McElhern and Intego's chief security analyst, Josh Long. Good morning, Josh. How are you today? I'm doing well. How are you, Kirk? I'm okay. Now, if I understand correctly, you have an apology to make to our listeners. Is that correct? You you love to, to do this. When we start the show, you're always like, no, you screwed up on something, didn't you, Josh? <laughs> well, I didn't do it. And and anyway, it was talking about Windows 11, which clearly is not my bailiwick. Okay, that's a fair point. Yeah, so last week, we said that to upgrade to Windows 11, which is not out yet, it's supposed to come out late this year, that it was going to require a dual-core 1 gigahertz processor or better. And... The, the reality is that, yes, that is true, but it was also a specific generation of processor or newer that met those qualifications. So it had to be the equivalent of an Intel Generation 8 processor or newer. So Gen 8 is only a few years old. And so that was where the controversy came from. Some people in the press were like, well, this is kind of a big deal because you're not going to be able to run Windows 11 on anything that can run Windows 10. Um, however, since then, Microsoft has kind of backtracked a little bit, and now they're not really saying very clearly what the system requirements are going to be. Um, it seems that because there was so much backlash, Microsoft has, it, first of all, they had a tool that you could download that you could run on your PC to assess whether it was eligible for upgrading. And they took down that tool. And even if you already had downloaded that tool and you try to run it now, it won't tell you anything. It'll just say, oh, we'll let you know later this year. So that's the deal. So <laughs> what we said last week was not quite correct, but now we don't really even know what's correct. Um, so thanks, Microsoft, for being super confusing on this. See, it wasn't your fault. You just did what Microsoft told you to do. <laughs> but is, is this revision better or worse? Is this going to cover more devices or fewer devices? Well, so I think what's going to happen here is that Microsoft is going to, because of market pressure, they're going to be forced to support more hardware models. So this is a, probably a good thing in some sense for consumers. The, the thing is that what Microsoft was going for here was that they were trying to... Uh, encourage users to be on newer hardware that is less susceptible to certain vulnerabilities. Um, they wanted to make sure that you were on, you know, the latest trusted platform module built into your hardware and some other things like that. Based on the fact that they went with Gen 8 or newer Intel processors, they might have been thinking also of Meltdown and Spectre, which were vulnerabilities that sort of came to public knowledge in the beginning of 2018 right around the time when the Gen 8 processors 
came out. And Intel and other companies had known about this for a couple of months prior to that. So maybe that's the idea, is that Microsoft was trying to push people to more secure hardware. And they have said something along those lines, that if you're on newer hardware, you're less likely to have malware. Now, correlation does not necessarily imply causation there. So it could be for other reasons that somebody is less likely to have malware if they have newer hardware. It could just be that geeks tend to upgrade quicker. But, you know. What are you calling geeks? I'm calling me. I'm calling myself (laughs) a geek. (laughs) Okay. Well, we'll find out. This is sometime in the future. And and I think what you've made clear is that Microsoft isn't entirely sure what they want to do here. One more quick note on that. Um, They weren't going to be checking hardware requirements if you're running this in a virtual machine anyway. So theoretically, it shouldn't affect you if you're running Windows inside of a virtual environment on a Mac. Yes. So I'm running Windows 10 in Parallels Desktop on my Mac. And I used to use VMware Fusion. I only use this for a couple of projects where I need to do Windows screenshots. I wanted to continue using VMware Fusion, but it's not compatible with M1 Macs, whereas Parallels Desktop is. And Parallels also explains how to get the Windows 10 for ARM preview, which you need for M1 Macs. Because if you've been using virtualization for a long time, you may remember that back in the early days, virtualization was really a translation because you were running uh, an Intel operating system, Windows, on a PowerPC chip. But once Apple shifted to Intel chips, then that meant that you would basically just be running the operating system on the native chip in a kind of a wrapper. It gets a little more complicated than that. But now with M1 Max, since they're ARM-based processors, the Intel versions of Windows don't work anymore. So if you do need Windows, Parallels Desktop is better than VMware Fusion if you have a new Mac. Okay, a couple of episodes ago, we talked about a security researcher who found that if you connected your iPhone or iPad to a specific Wi-Fi network name, something that had a bunch of percents in it and different characters, it could disable the device's ability to connect to Wi-Fi. And I think you could get out of this by resetting the network settings. Now, he's found another one. And this time, if you connect to this network, percent secret club percent power... You can't fix things by rebooting the device or resetting the iPhone's network settings. You probably have to restore the device entirely from a backup through the Finder or iTunes. Yeah. So first of all, this is a very, very similar bug to the previous one that the same researcher found. The difference here is that this one is actually, although it's really the same bug, This is a a worse implementation of it because now you can't just restore your network settings. That's what you could do before. Remember when we talked about this a couple weeks ago, I said that you'll want to make sure that you can go to to an area probably that doesn't have that network still on. Or you could turn off Wi-Fi. I guess that would be another thing you could do. And then you could reset your network settings. You would have to now reconnect to all of the Wi-Fi networks that you normally connect to. Um, But that was a, a way that you could could resolve this. And so the same researcher now, this new network ID name, SSID, um, if you were to connect to a, a network with that particular name, which is just, it's still got the percent %S and it's still got the percent %P, but just some other letters in a different order. Um, but if you connect to this one, he found that you can't just reset your network settings and be all good to go. Now, now this is a bigger issue. And why hasn't Apple fixed this yet? Because again, this was weeks ago that we that Apple knew about this. Apple hasn't done anything about it. 
And and here we are, you know, weeks later, and we don't have a patch from Apple yet at this point. And now there's a newer version of this that is even worse. And now, okay, how likely is it that you're going to see percent secret club percent power as a Wi-Fi network? I know, I know. I'm holding my hand up. I know, teacher. I thought that a lot of people are going to be changing their Wi-Fi networks to that. Which would be kind of dumb if, because if they're really mean. Well, if they have a guest <laughs> network, right? If you have a router with a guest network and a regular network, and you set the guest network to that, yeah, and you keep yours locked and you leave the guest network open, let's say you live in an apartment building, if you want to be really mean, yeah, exactly. If, no, please, and if anyone listening is thinking of doing that, don't do it. I'm just saying that there are probably some people who will. Right, right, and that's that's the problem is that anybody can create a network called this, and now it's a lot worse than it was before because now it's even more difficult to recover from this. And basically, you're going to be messing up other people's iOS devices until Apple eventually comes out with a patch for it. So any day now, Apple, we're waiting. Okay, today we want to talk about the danger of internet-connected devices. And before we get to the sort of main topic, here's an article that showed up in Ars Technica a few days ago by Dan Gooden. Thinking about selling your Echo Dot or any IoT device? Read this first. It turns out that deleting data from Echo Dots and other IoT devices from Amazon and elsewhere is hard. Now, I did sell an Echo Dot used on eBay once, but I had only turned it on briefly. I got it in a bundle with something else, and I really didn't want to keep it, and I sold it. And I thought that I had deleted everything, and I wonder if someone now has some information. Now, I don't think they can get your password. They might get your username from Amazon. One thing this article points out is that if you ask a device, Alexa, who am I, the device will tell you the owner's name. And if it's telling you a previous owner's name, then that means that there is some data that's still been stored. Here's just an aside. If you ever find an iPhone on the street and you invoke Siri and you say, who does this phone belong to? You'll get information about the person. You'll get their name, contact information, et cetera. So if you ever do find an iPhone and want to return it to someone, you can do that. But this makes one think about all these devices where we have entered important information. And it could just be, you know, a username and a password for the Amazon account. And I'm pretty sure the password is not going to be accessible. But even the username, someone getting your username could be a problem, couldn't it? Well, that's right. You you generally don't want to give away any more information than necessary to random people on the Internet who who, or, or people who may buy your devices from you on eBay or things like that. Um, so uh, th- this is one of those tricky things. Um, you you want to be able to make sure that all of your information is wiped off of devices before you resell it. Um, generally, so like if you're selling your iPhone back to Apple, um, they give you a set of steps that you can go through um, to make sure that your data is securely wiped off of your device. And actually, and I- Apple devices are are have a really good process for this um, that ensures that your device is securely wiped, that all of your data is is removed from that device. Um, of course, that assumes that your device is still functional. If you if you have a device that it won't even turn on anymore, then you don't really have a good way to ensure that all of your data is erased from it. Drop it in a bath of acid. Well. I, yeah, exactly. <laughs> right. There's no technological uh, way that you can ensure that all your data is erased. But um, yeah, of course, you can also physically destroy it. That works. Um, you're not going to be able to get any money for that device. Of course, you won't be able to resell it once you have dunked it in a tank of acid or whatever. So um, 
that there is that. Um, but at least with, with this Echo Dot, I mean, this is one of those things where like they don't really have um, a a process that definitely works. That's really easy to do, uh, and and you find this on other. IOT devices on on other devices in general, um, it makes you think twice about reselling devices. There's there have been these kind of issues with printers in the past, where uh, in fact even some of these like big corporate giant you know printer copier machines, and people would uh, would resell these because you know their company was no longer using it or whatever, and sometimes bad guys would buy these things just to do some reconnaissance and try to find out information about that company because it turned out that some of these devices were actually storing copies of some of those images from scans and uh, and and other ways that they've been able to attain, obtain information. Maybe you emailed the document to the printer and uh, to try to get it to print something. And uh, in some cases, printers would actually continue to continue to store those things on their internal drive. And now some bad guy who bought your used printer was able to get that information. So this is something that people should always be aware of when you're reselling electronic devices. Even if the printer's technically not storing it, it's got flash memory, it's deleted it from the flash memory, but that's not a full deletion. As we know, you could use data recovery software to get data off of that. And so if people buy printers from companies, they may get you know, contracts off the flash memory and have some really valuable information. Well, right. You think about it. Um, what if your HR department was using one of these types of printers that happened to be caching some of that information onto a drive built into the printer. You might not even really know that that's happening, but now, you know, you've got driver's licenses, um, social security cards, um, any number of other really sensitive, personally identifiable information about people. And uh, that is not something you want to have leaked to the public. Okay, we're going to take a break, and then we're going to talk about some problems with Western digital internet-connected network-attached storage devices. Protecting your online security and privacy has never been more important than it is today. Intego has been proudly protecting Mac users since 1997, and our latest Mac protection suite includes the tools you need to stay protected in 2021. Intego's Mac Premium Bundle X9 includes Virus Barrier, the world's best Mac anti-malware protection. Net Barrier for powerful inbound and outbound firewall security. Personal Backup will keep your important files safe from ransomware. And much more to help protect, secure, and organize your Mac. Best of all, it's compatible with macOS Big Sur and the latest Apple Silicon Macs. Download the free trial of Mac Premium Bundle X9 from Intego.com today. When you're ready to buy, Intego Mac Podcast listeners can get a special discount by using the link in this episode's show notes at podcast.intego.com. That's podcast.intego.com. And click on this episode to find the special discount link exclusively for Intego Mac Podcast listeners. Intego, world-class protection and utility software for Mac users, made by the Mac security experts. Okay, so Western Digital, and we talked about this last week. There was a zero-day 
vulnerability combined with a bug in some older devices. And more information came up about this. We have an article on the Intego Mac security blog called Got a WD MyBook Live Device? Your data is at risk. Here's what to do. That's a catchy title, Josh. Thank you. <laughs> yeah, Kirk wrote this article and I and I came up with the, the little bit catchier title for it. So here's the problem. There was a vulnerability in a bug and it allowed malicious people to remotely erase the data on these drives. Now, these are one or two drive devices. The MyBook Live is one drive. The MyBook Live Duo is two drives. They range in storage from one to eight terabytes. They were sold until late 2013. And in late 2019, WD Western Digital announced that they were at the their end of life and that they would no longer be updating the firmware in these devices. So when we talked about it last week, I hadn't paid attention to the amount of time involved here. And I was saying, well, this is serious, obviously, if you're depending on data and you've got an internet-connected device. But looking into it a little bit more, these are devices that WD protected for at least six years. I think they were first released in 2011. So if you bought it in 2011, you had eight years of protection. We had a long discussion before the show. Personally, I would never use a hard drive for more than about three years because I know they always fail over time. And it seems to me that six years is a pretty good period of time to cover devices. Now, WD has done several things in order to help users. They have a data recovery service that if your data loss occurred before the 1st of July, 2021, you can send the product to them and they'll try and get the data back. They'll even give you a discount if you want to trade in an old device for a new one. You can get 40% off a new device, which frankly, if you got one that's that old, take the 40% off and get something new. But what we want to talk about is more than just the WD issue. It's how can companies deal with this? How can companies tell users that your device is no longer getting security updates? And we talk about this all the time for Macs and iOS devices, how important it is to have the latest or the, the N-1 operating system. We talk about it for routers all the time because who pays attention to the router firmware, right? You just trust that it gets updated automatically. But this is a bit of a conundrum, isn't it? How can we... How can companies get users to understand that they actually do need to buy new devices because they won't be updated for security risks? Right. And, and well, and first of all, let me address that uh, router getting updated automatically. That may only be the case if you have a device that's provided by your internet service provider. Um, generally speaking, most routers do not update their firmware automatically. Starting to become more of a thing, um, some manufacturers are starting to do this as a matter of policy, specifically for user safety, to make sure that they're always getting the latest. But in most cases, still today, you do have to manually check for updates and install those updates when they become available. So one thing that, of course, companies can do is they can they can reach out to you uh, via email presumably you know they've asked you to register your product and so if you were obedient and you filled out that registration card and sent it into the company then they have a way to contact you and notify you if there are problems with your device if it's going to fall out out of the support window for getting security updates and things like that um, but not everybody registers their product. Okay, but for devices like this, so I had a, a similar device, a WD MyCloud. I have a Synology NAS right now. For these devices, since you're able to access them remotely, you have to set up a user account. You certainly have to give an email address at some point. So they do have your email address. Now, 
My Synology NAS sends me email all the time. It will tell me if there's anything I need to do on the device, like this package needs to be updated. The company Synology will send me, hey, there's a new you know, version of the Synology software. So this is something that shouldn't be hard to do with this type of device where you do have to register. It's not like you've just bought a camera and you go to the manufacturer's website to register the camera. That's a little bit different. Right. And I know that certain brands of, uh, for example, mesh Wi-Fi networks will require you to create an account with the company as well before you can do any sort of configuration of your, your you know, or create your own network. But again, not all companies do this. And so is this something that we should expect companies to be requiring that you create an account with them before you're allowed to even use their devices? Yeah, what about remaining anonymous when using these devices? Well, see, now, you could use a throwaway email address, of course. Sure, yeah. So that that's one potential solution for this. And, and of course, when we say throwaway email address, you, you definitely want to use an address that you're going to be checking because, you know, if they're notifying you about security updates, you want to know about that. Um, at the same time, you know, sometimes they are not so good about separating uh, notifications about security updates from advertisements about, you know, newer products or things like that. So that's where it gets a little sticky. Um, now you, so you definitely want to give them a real legitimate email address that you're going to be checking on a regular basis, not some fake address or a throwaway address. Um, but, but when we say that type of address, you, you can create a separate email account that you just use to give to companies when you have to register for things, right? There's no rule or law that says that you must give companies your personal email address that you use for all your friends and everybody else and relatives so that's one option. I don't want to put all the onus on users here, but if you're trusting your data to a device, whether it's internet connected or not, it can't be the only device that has your data. So if you are using a NAS, I think pretty much every NAS has USB ports on the back of it. Put another drive on and back up your important data. If you're backing up data to the NAS, well, let's say you're backing up one computer to the NAS. Well, you've got the original which isn't on the NAS, right? So I think there is a user responsibility to understanding how these devices work. One point that I noticed, and I linked to an article on a photo website called Petapixel, they were talking about how a lot of people don't want to use the newer software for these devices because it just doesn't work very well. A lot of photographers use these devices because they need a lot of storage and they need to be able to remotely send photos to these devices for protection. So let's say you're out on a photo shoot, you send your photos to the NAS. As soon as you get back to your home or office, you should make another copy, another backup, because those photos are irreplaceable. Yeah, and this is a really key point here. When we're talking about backups, it's another copy. That's what a backup is. It's not, I put it on my backup drive and therefore now I can delete the original. It doesn't work that way. Yes, because the backup drive is not magical. <laughs> right, right. There's, there's absolutely no magic involved. And so if you have moved it somewhere else or made a copy somewhere else, like onto your network attached storage, and then you delete the original. Now you really only have one copy and you no longer have a backup because now your backup is your only copy. And so it's not actually a backup anymore. It's a good idea. I'm not going to mention any names, but it's a good idea to use an online backup service if you have the bandwidth, because that's something that's offsite, which gives you another safe location. They're generally quite reliable. 
how many times if, if I had a dollar for every time we told people about backups, I'd be able to retire by now. I, I'm one of these people who lost some important data once, like 20 years ago, and ever since I've been a backup obsessive. And I do lose data every now and then. Just two days ago, for one of my podcasts, my files that I had recorded were missing. And my co-host and I were looking, and he found copies in his time machine backup finally, because we'd put it on OneDrive. And I found copies on OneDrive where you can go back and get older files. And it's like, it doesn't happen often, but it happens. And when it happens, it can be problematic. Yes, it's more expensive to buy another backup drive or pay for an online backup service, but think about how much it would cost you if you lose important data. Absolutely. Yeah, th this is really something that everybody should think about, but it's not something that your average consumer necessarily does think about unless they've had some kind of issue like this happen to them. So with these devices, they were supported for six years, six years after they were last manufactured. And I think that's a pretty good time. However, you've pointed out that you can actually still buy some of them on Amazon that are listed as new and might still be new that have been in the channel. You can find used ones on Amazon, eBay, and certainly other places. This is where we get the real problem. How does a user know that they're buying a device that could not be reliable and not just because the device itself has a problem, but because there is a vulnerability that has been actively exploited. Here's here's why this is such a problem. You've got retail sites and, and you've got resale sites like eBay, for example, where these things are not really policed by the company. So Amazon will basically allow you to sell just about anything. You can even go to an existing listing for a particular product. And in this case, you know, a product that may be more than six years old. And you can say, I have a new one and I'm selling it. And that's exactly what I, what I found when when I looked for this was oh, okay let's let's take a look are there any Western Digital My Book Live devices that are currently being sold as new on Amazon and I was able to find some now in this case they were showing up as available from a third party seller but you you have to sort of read the fine print to to discover that you know not every, not everybody is paying that close attention to see that this comes from a third party but. Notably, and this is what's really important here, there is nothing in there that says that this device will no longer be supported by the manufacturer after a certain date or that it will be unsafe to connect to the Internet. There's no indication of that whatsoever. So you think you're buying a brand new product and technically it's new. It may not be open. It may still be shrink wrapped, but it's not getting updates from the manufacturer anymore and it will actually be unsafe to use. The same thing can happen with Wi-Fi routers. eBay in particular tends to be really bad about this where sometimes they will actually even promote supposed deals on sometimes Apple devices that are many years out of date and are not able to get the current operating system anymore. This is a problem. And so what do we do about this? So as we were discussing this with our with our producer Doug before the show, he had the idea. What what about a consortium? Can we have like a group of vendors that comes together and says, let's create a database of all of our outdated devices? And Kirk said, yeah, yeah, this is something that could be done. And and certainly there's a reason why hardware manufacturers might want to be on this list because. That encourages people to make sure they're buying the latest product. They're not buying it through some, you know, um, overstock channel or whatever. They're getting the latest product. And so you know that, you know, the, the manufacturer is going to, for one, they're going to get money for that product. And 
they're also going to be able to support that product um, and not have to worry about these this big public embarrassment about some devices getting hacked because they'll be able to say, yep, that's why it's been on that list for six years or however long it is. But people have to know to look up the list. And that's the problem. You have so many links in the chain here. On the one hand, the companies can claim that they've put things on a list. And if you look on the Western Digital website, you'll see that they were end of life at the end of 2019. So they can say, we've made this announcement. But do people think to go look for that announcement, especially when you see that it's new on Amazon? Right. And so that that would be the next step of this process. So after you've got this uh, this consortium that is tracking all of this stuff for you of outdated devices, then that consortium would have to, I guess, somehow um, go to Amazon and eBay and all these other companies that sell or resell their products and say, hey, it's now your responsibility to make sure that you're either updating those listings to warn people that these products are not getting updates anymore or to disallow a third party from selling these products anymore. And that's the tricky part because how how does that happen? How does this consortium or even an individual company go to Amazon and say, you must update all these listings or even go to eBay and say, you must prevent people from selling these devices? It's kind of hard on eBay because unless you put the precise model number, how are they going to know that it actually matches? When I see stuff on eBay, sometimes it's very precise, sometimes it's not. If you look, for instance, for an iMac, on eBay, you'll see all different ways that there can be listed. Now, when you do list something like that on eBay, they will propose, here is what we think it is. If you put the iMac this year, et cetera, and you'll be able to choose a, a sort of a template for certain devices, but not for all of them. And what I found the last time I sold my iMac, I wasn't able to choose a template because the specs of mine were slightly different. And so then I made a, a custom listing, which is fine because I know what to put in the listing. But yeah, I think it's just, there are just so many tech devices, it's really problematic. So basically, the, here's two things to take away from this. A network storage device is not a backup unless you've got another copy of your stuff. They don't last forever. And be very careful when you buy tech devices. Uh, again, I don't trust hard drives to last more than about three years. They're, they've got physically moving parts that wear out. I know that they've gotten more reliable. And one of the online backup companies called Backblaze publishes, I think, quarterly a list of hard drive reliability. I'll put a link in the show notes to the latest one. And they're lasting more like four and five years. And these are drives that are spinning 24 hours a day. But you just have to assume that these are consumables. These devices will not last forever. Right. And even flash-based storage. So they, they may not have physically moving parts, but those do wear out over time, too. The, you know, the more times that you write to a, a particular sector on that device, the sooner that sector of the of, of that drive is going to wear out. If you have some big files, then you don't necessarily edit them very often. If you're just kind of using it as sort of like a place to put some big old files that you're not really going to change much, then certainly flash storage is more reliable for that kind of thing. It might be faster, but it's also much more expensive. That's why in most cases, when you're talking about these multi terabyte network attached storage devices, you're going to see spinning drives and not flash storage because it would be incredibly expensive to have many terabytes of flash storage like that. Okay, Josh, until next week, stay secure. All right, stay secure. Thanks for listening to the Intego Mac Podcast, the voice of Mac security, with your hosts, Kirk McElhern and Josh Long. 
To get every weekly episode, be sure to follow us in Apple Podcasts or subscribe in your favorite podcast app. And if you can, leave a rating, a like, or a review. Links to topics and information mentioned in the podcast can be found in the show notes for the episode at podcast.intego.com. The Intego website is also where to find details on the full line of Intego security and utility software. Intego.com. <laughs>